You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. Romans 14, verses 14 through 22 in the Christian Standard Bible. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclear in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So here in this pericope, St. Paul is writing to the Church of Rome um, about a topic that was really controversial, caused a lot of division among the church at that time. He addresses this topic, demanding people to show respect for one another, to build each other up, to refrain when it might help one another, to not cause each other to stumble. Father Aaron Westman, how do you believe the church today could learn to deal with our own polarizing topics from how Paul addressed this one here to the Romans? Really appreciate uh, the verses that you just read from Paul's letter to the Romans. You know, and I teach a course on ecclesiology, uh, so the theology of the church, as well as a course on, on the Eucharist and on communion. And one thing that's come, become very evident to me in teaching both of those courses is just how central pursuing and maintaining unity is to Christian identity and to the basically the, the goals and the ends of the church. And that the church is supposed to be that place which people can look upon and see the unity that God desires for God and his people, and also the unity that God desires for all of human beings with each other. And so one of the things that I've been kind of um, really been convicted about is that um, when I think about communion, when I think about unity, and I think probably what Paul was thinking here too, when I think about what that means for the church and for myself, I should really, what I call, discern the community before I make an action, before I do something. So to discern the community, meaning discern how my actions, what I might say, what I might do, how they would affect other people around me. And sometimes even indirectly, will they cause scandal? Uh, Will they create uh, division between Christians? And really be convicted by that reality in all of my actions. Um, I think that's kind of at the heart of communio. That is kind of my putting the other before myself, and particularly in polarized times where there are so many issues that uh, can cause even greater divisions amongst us as Christians, but really to discern the community, to discern the other, and think about what I'm about to do, whether I'm going to post something on social media, whether I'm going to engage in a sort of a vitriolic conversation with somebody, whether I'm going to put somebody down, um, whether I might even say something that is good, but perhaps is not prudent, to really discern the community, discern unity, and really pursue that as much as I can in life. I think that's what Paul's getting, and I think that can be helpful for us in our situation today. Yeah, for sure.
Hey, everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, possibly, potentially, your favorite church unity podcast. We're still waiting on your favorite co host, the greatest co host of all time, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Unsure what his status is, uh, he should be here. I don't know. He'll be coming, hopefully, and the show will improve the moment he shows up. And if he doesn't show up, um, perhaps he just knows our guest is too good, and it would be too good of an episode if they were both here. Speaking of our guest, um, I'm Joshua Noll, your other co-host, and I am here with Father Aaron Westman. He is the Vicar General and Director of Formation for the Glen Mary Home Missioners, and he is the author of The Church's Mission in a Polarized World. Father Westman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joshua. It's great great to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be a fun one. Um, like I said, TJ's not here yet, so I'm going to try to do his part, and listeners, just forgive me. I don't know how to do this. Um, I'm supposed to convince you to check out the Inazal Ministries Podcast Network. You know, it's uh, the network our show is a part of. I think it's pretty cool. Check it out. Um, let's see. And then if you want some some merch, we have some really comfy T-shirts and stuff. It has our logo or has the hashtag one church. And on the back, we'll have some of the different verses encouraging church unity. Maybe check that out. That link should also be in the show notes. Um, and now moving on to my favorite form of unity. Uh, there's a spiritual practice we do on the show of uh, just silliness. And, uh, you know, I like to say that you can't really be in division if you're being goofy enough, as long as you're silly enough, it's just truly hard to be divided. <laughs> so we're going to start with today's silly question. Um, I'll answer first, gives you, give you a little bit of time to think about it. If you could call in any one favor from a dragon other than murder, this is going to be a friendly dragon. He's a nice dragon. What one favor would you ask of it? Um, you know, for me, I'm going to go with uh, like classic dragon lore. They tend to sleep on piles of gold and hoard gold. So, you know, I'm just going to ask uh, if it'll let me, you know, take out a loan from its gold stack, perhaps, or, you know, if it's feeling extra generous, if maybe it'll just help me get through law school, that'd be sick. So I'm going to I'm going to be asking uh, the dragon to be my banker. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, Father Westman, what one favor are you going to call in and ask of our dragon friend? <laughs> So it's a great question. You know, I do a lot of traveling, as I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, and uh, traveling really grates on me now that I'm in my my 40s-ish. And, yeah. um, you know, it would be so great to call on the dragon to actually be my means of travel rather than having to wait in airports and get on airplanes or even drive yeah. the tens of thousands of miles that I drive because of the ministry that I'm involved in. Man, just how great would it be to get on the back of a dragon and just fly to your next uh, ministry appointment? Man, and you imagine just how closely everyone would be listening when the priest shows up, unmounts his dragon, and begins to speak. Like, I'm, I'm listening to what this guy's got to say, you know? Yeah. No, no talking oh. back. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one. That's a good one. So, as TJ likes to say, on to the real part of our show is um, one thing we found that really helps engender church unity is to hear one another's story. So. Yeah. Father Aaron Westman, would you mind just sharing with us a little bit about your faith journey and your relationship with the church? Yeah, that's wonderful. So um, I grew up Roman Catholic uh, in the state of Minnesota. And uh, for the most part, uh, my my family was very much a uh, practicing Catholic family. Um, going to the, the mass, to the services on the weekends was important to us, uh, celebrating the sacraments as much as we were uh, able and, and pretty frequently was very much a part of my life growing up. Um, 
I would say that I, I, I went into college at the, at the age of 18, as most do. And my faith wasn't as strong as it probably should have been at my time in college. Um, I meandered a little bit. I think that's the best way to say it. Uh, perhaps went off the path a, a bit. But I was, you know, trying to understand who I was yeah, at that time, yeah. <laughs> which I think is a, a pretty normal experience for people going into college. Um, I went to St. John's University, which is a, is a Catholic school uh, in Minnesota, and it's run by uh, a Benedictine monastery, as well as a, a number of people who are not part of the monastery who are teaching there. I studied mathematics, um, and it was a great experience for me. Uh, but I was, you know, I would say at times I was a little bit wild and, again, exploring a lot of different things in life. Went through a number of different relationships. And then my senior year at, at the university, something started to really change. I kind of hit a point where I asked that that fundamental question, you know, about, you know, is this kind of all there is to life? Um, you know, the party scene, maybe just kind of pursuing the degree, um, some kind of flailing relationships that I had uh, with, with, with some women. Um, and then, you know, maybe relationships with, with, with other people that are friendships, but I pro- thought they could be deeper, deeper. And so I think really God started to do some pretty profound things at that, at that moment and with that question. So first of all, I began to get together with some friends of mine. We were friends from really from all the way back elementary school. And we stayed in touch during college and we started a Bible study together. And this was actually a very ecumenical group. So I was the only Catholic in the group. The rest of them were some stripe of perhaps evangelical. We started to study the Bible together, but mostly that was a, an accountability group for ourselves. And so we would come to that group every other week. We would meet at different college campuses, depending on where we all were as friends. And we would simply say to each other, like, what are you struggling with in your Christian journey? And then every two weeks we had to report on whether or not we were doing well with those things we were struggling with. And that <laughs> yeah. was the first time that we who were good friends really started to touch on the things that mattered in life. Whereas we maybe didn't talk a lot about faith in the past or because we were from different denominations, there was kind of some disunity there. That became a source of of strength for us. That was amazing. That source of accountability, I was able to, I think, probably clean up my life a little bit. And then I met, while I was cleaning the theology department of St. John's, I was a janitor there to to help pay for school. I met a Catholic priest uh, who was, I think, around 60 at that time. And we became great friends. And it was sort of this situation where you encounter somebody who becomes a mentor for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Father Jerry Dorn. He became this mentor for me. And all of a sudden, I'm in like my senior year and people are kind of out gallivanting, doing their thing, kind of doing some wild stuff in the senior, staying up at night you know, in the bars, that kind of thing. And here I am staying up talking to this guy about faith and forgiveness and Jesus and my own past and my own present and my own future and it just radically changed my orientation to the church and to Jesus and to my faith. And then along with that, uh, an aunt of mine had asked me to get involved volunteering in her church. So I said yes. And then what happened from that is we were part of this, what's called the Alpha Group. You're probably familiar with Alpha, but it's basically bringing people together to go through some of the basics of, of, of Christianity, but in small group settings around food as well. And so I volunteered with that. And that was the first time in my life where I saw the, the way in which faith was very real for other normal people. Along with that, that but people struggled. They, they, they suffered in life. And I think I kind of was then pulled outside of myself to be present to the people in that alpha group and then that small group. So those three things happened. And all of a sudden, the priest returned to his normal ministry. He was on a sabbatical. And I started asking the question, man, is God calling me to be a Catholic priest? And, and, and also, is, is God calling me to be a missionary priest 
in the community called Glenmary, the Glenmary Home Missionaries, which I'm yeah. a part of now. So I started asking these questions, and then really one thing led to another. I ended up graduating from, from the university with my degree in mathematics. Um, I then entered into for the formation program, the seminary program with Glenmary, which is about mm-hmm. a seven-year program studying theology and philosophy and doing ministry and learning kind of the trade of, of being a missioner. Uh, and then I, I was ordained a priest back in 2012. Uh, and since then, I've had different assignments uh, as a priest in different missions in Glenmary in East Tennessee, Eastern North Carolina. It's also given the chance to do my PhD in theology over in Belgium, uh, studying at the Catholic University of Louvain. Um, and nice. now I'm serving in, on Glen Mary's uh, leadership council as, as the vicar general, which just kind of means I'm in charge of personnel and, and financial issues and uh, kind of overseeing the, the movement of the community with the other members of the council. Man, wow. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, Glen Mary. But first, so just going back to, I think you said you were still in college. You were meeting with this group of people from some other different traditions and stuff. And I don't remember if you mentioned this before the podcast or during it. So if it was before, sorry, listeners. <laughs> I, I do remember you mentioned that you you teach ecclesiology, right? Yeah. Do you ever use that time in your life as an example for like how we define the church or like the apostles, you know, the one apostolic Catholic church kind of stuff? Absolutely. I mean, my life, I think from from those days for sure, but perhaps even earlier than that, has always been what I would say in the Catholic world, ecumenical. I've yeah. always had a chance to be around Christians from various backgrounds, traditions, and denominations. In fact, my faith has been enhanced uh, by being in those settings, those settings and in, in those situations. And so when I try to teach uh, what I would call like a theology of ecumenism or a theology of, of church unity and how we can envision the unity of the body of Christ, I definitely go back to those situations and many others that I have had a chance to be a part of that have been, you know, really integral to my experience of Christianity and have helped me in my Catholic priesthood, as well as my, my missionary ministry, which tends to be in areas which are, you know, the majority of the people there are non-Catholic Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was just kind of curious. I was like, man, what, yeah, that story, that really just sounds like a early church kind of thinking in modern context. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Absolutely. So yeah, we, we mentioned a few times the Glen Mary home missioners that, uh, you're pretty heavily involved with. Um, what would you say sets that tradition or that group apart from some other groups? Yeah, so Glenmary is a religious community within the Catholic umbrella. And the very specific charism and spirituality that we have is that we go to counties in the United States, uh, which are rural, and where the Catholic population is less than a half percent. Um, so that primarily means that we're working in Appalachia, and also the southeast of the United States. And when we were founded back in the 1930s, at that time, there were about a thousand counties in Appalachia and the southeast of the United States that really had no official Catholic presence. And the founder of our community, Father William Howard Bishop, said that, you know, there needs to be a religious order in the Catholic Church in the United States that has its sole mission uh, to send missioners to go and to live among the people in those counties uh, to reach out, to build relationships with the non-Catholic Christians that are there, to try to enhance and improve the lives of people there if they are struggling. Typically, the, the counties tend to have pretty high levels of poverty. Um, and then also to raise up a, a Catholic community, uh, if, if, if that's what it seems like the Holy Spirit desires to do. Uh, and so we've done that in about 150 counties throughout Appalachia and the Southeast. We've 
we've kind of built up a, a Catholic presence, a Catholic church. And then when we're finished, we, we move, we move on. So we hand that church back to the diocese, which is like the church, the Catholic church, which in the geographic area that covers that territory. And then we move on to a different county. So currently we're working in like central Tennessee and East Tennessee and Eastern North Carolina, Southwest Georgia, and a little bit in Kentucky and Ohio as well. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. So one thing stood out that you, you said, if it feels like that's where the spirit's leading, you start a Catholic community. So the, the, or something, I don't know exactly how you ordered it, but it, so you don't always necessarily try to start a Catholic community. Like that's not the goal when you go into these places necessarily. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of like uh, throwing seeds. Uh, we've been going through the scriptures recently and it's the, you know, the parable of the mm-hmm. sower. And um, so we go into a county and uh, we do a number of things. So I think we cast out seeds, which means we, we do that by building relationships and we try to learn, you know, what, what are the needs of the people of the area? Uh, what are the questions they're asking? What's on their heart? What can we learn from them? Um, sometimes we encounter uh, that there's a great, um, let's say, material need. And so we would be present to try to work with the people of the area to try to meet that need. Something like food insecurity would be a common thing that we encounter. Another thing we would encounter would be such things like, say, say addictions, like the opioid crisis, which we're all very familiar with, which is sometimes happening in some of our counties. So we would attend to that need. Sometimes we will encounter a number of non-Catholic Christians who are very much interested in praying together. So we will pray together. Uh, we will worship together. We will build relationships with them. And sometimes we find people who are very much interested in Catholicism, like just learning about like what does it mean to be Catholic and what does it mean to be a priest and why are you here and that, those kinds of questions. And sometimes there are people who are maybe Catholic culturally, historically, but maybe aren't so much kind of practicing at the moment because there's not a church, you know, within an hour or two driving distance. And so we just, you know, with those people, we decide, well, let's start to have a service in the Catholic fashion. Let's start to have the mass. We might actually have the mass in the, the house that we've got. So it's kind of like the house churches, right? Uh, we might have it underneath a, a carport. We might this. actually rent a storefront, which is pretty common in our in yeah. our Glen Mary experience, which is not super common in, I think, the general Catholic world. Like, we're used to having storefront churches in Glen Mary. I see a lot of, <laughs> a lot of non-Catholic Christian churches that are used to that as well. But that's a yeah. real experience for us. And then we just see what happens. You know, like, what we mean by discerning the Spirit is... Well, we're, we can't force faith, faith upon anybody. We also recognize that God has been in these, in these areas and present long before we have. And God has a desire and a design and, and desires to do different things there. So we're trying our best to sort of align ourselves. We know we have a tradition. We have goals ourselves. But we're trying to say, you know, what is it that God's trying to do? What's God already doing in the people? Um, what can we learn And then where can we bring the gifts of our experience to add to that situation? So there's a lot of discernment, which is part of it, which I think is the true spirit of a a missionary, how we've been trained. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a Pentecostal context and I know a lot of your like Baptist Pentecostal, even some Methodist. Usually when you say missionary, the main goal is church plant, start one of our churches, which is why I was just, I was just kind of curious, kind of hearing your take on that. Cause that's, uh, I don't know if I've ever talked to a Catholic missionary or missioner before. So I was like, Interesting. Yeah. 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 Cool. So one other thing we'd like to do before we kind of get into your book a little bit as um, just to help our audience and ourselves get to know you a little more. We do what's called our speed round segment. So we're just going to ask a series of questions about what you believe. And we're going to ask that you try to answer each one in a single sentence or less. Or you can just say skip if you don't think you can do it in a sentence or, or you're just like, yeah, I just won't do justice if I say one sentence. 
All right. Skip's fine. Skip is fine. Um, and I'm not allowed to ask any follow-up questions, which is always the hard part for me. So you ready to go? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Number one, who or what is God? God is love. Hmm. Okay. What is salvation? Salvation is relationship with God and relationship with all of creation. I like that. What is the significance of Baptist and the Eucharist? Uh, baptism and the Eucharist are those things which bring us into unity with, with God through Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit, as well as a deepening communion with all of humanity. Okay. All right. What authority does Scripture have? A scripture is without error regarding all of those things which are necessary for salvation. Mm. Carefully worded sentence. What authority does tradition have? Uh, tradition also uh, provides us uh, an entrance and access to scripture in order to guide us in our interpretation of that, as well as to discern the living tradition which is in the church. Sounds like you've answered some of these before. What, what are your views on destiny or predestination? I think that God desires all uh, people to be saved and in fact, all of creation to be drawn up into the a great redemption, which God is bringing about, but he does respect our ability to say no. And so it does re require human cooperation in order for it to be brought about. Can God change? No. What do you love about the Bible? I love that it is a great story about how much God loves what he's created and how I'm also a part of that. And I'm humbled by that. What do you love about the church? It's the last one. I love the messiness of the church, that somehow God can work through that messiness in order to um, bring his deepening presence into this world. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. You did not seem to struggle at all. That was impressive. Love that. Um, I wasn't going to get was the philosophical conversation <laughs> change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some that's like, man, yeah. be a whole podcast. Yeah. But... <laughs> You know, just helps everybody kind of kind of know where you're at a little bit. Um, so, Father Aaron, uh, you recently published a book, The Church's Mission in a Polarized World. I mentioned it earlier, but we need to say the title a few times. Make sure people remember that it's called The Church's Mission in a Polarized World. <laughs> and it is a book um, just based off the title. They could probably tell it's all about polarization and how the church can be peacemakers in our current times. So what was the inspiration behind this book? And how did you get started with kind of the writing process with that? So the community I belong to, Glen Mary, asked me to go over to Europe to work on a PhD in theology. So I was studying over in Belgium and Louvain from 2014 to about 2018, 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. And while I was over in Belgium, it was great because I actually had a, a reprieve, a break from the kind of cultural, political, everything situation of the United States. I immersed myself uh, into the, the kind of the history and traditions of Europe. I was doing my dissertation, which is such a kind of a wonderful thing. I was making yeah. friends and discussing ideas, you know, as typically is the case. I was also involved in some ministry over there. So I was kind of removed from what was happening in the United States. And then I, I came back into the United States and it was just clearly evident to me in any case, my perception that something had changed with the tenor of the United States. Maybe it was because I had been gone for those three or four years but it seemed like something had changed. And what I mean by that, it seemed like that polarization had intensified. There was an intensification, I think, of the, the negativity that was happening around. And I saw this in a number of ways. I mean, I saw this, I think, in my own family, in certain conversations that we, we either had or what we, we couldn't have because it was hard for us to approach some of those, those themes and issues. 
I saw it in my Glenmary community. Um, I heard from priests and other ministers, and they were just so tired because they're trying to hold together fractured and perhaps even divided parishes or, yeah. or local churches. They were suffering and struggling in many ways. Um, and I saw it in the the, the, dis, the discussion and um, the conversations that were happening in the United States, both in the church in the U.S. In, you know, in general, but also in the political situation. And so I knew something had changed. And I really wanted to ask this: uh, What in the world had happened? Right. I also like very naively thought that I could stay above the fray. It's kind of one of those arrogant things where you're like, oh, I studied <laughs> yeah. my dissertation, I got a PhD now, and I'm sort of sophisticated because I was over in Europe or whatever, and like none of that held true. So like I was pulled down into that negativity, and I, I saw it because I couldn't listen to a particular person in the church speak without getting upset, or you know, you'd hear a news story yeah. about a particular politician and. And all of a sudden, I'm getting all angry, and I'm thinking, like, what in the world had happened inside me? So I started to think about, I needed to know, what do we mean by polarization, and, and, and why is this happening? So as a hobby, I actually took up the theme. It flowed somewhat from my dissertation. I studied secularization from a missiological perspective when I was over in Belgium. And, and, and I think kind of part of that is to kind of look at polarization. So it's sort of an offshoot of secularization to an extent. Um, so as a hobby, I'm reading up on it and thinking about it. And then I was asked to do a couple talks here and there. I gave some talks, gave some retreats, and people were moved by what I, I had to share. I mean, and, and I don't know if it was so much what I was saying, but it was just that they had felt the divisions deeply in their own hearts. I mean, people would say in tears, I no longer talk to my sibling. Huh. I, I, I don't see my children anymore. People would say, you know, this is one of the yeah. most meaningful retreats that I've had in a long time. And then after a while, people said, why don't you think about writing a book on this theme? And I, at first, I thought that was kind of crazy because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very busy. I have different responsibilities. And to even put myself to writing a book would have been, I think, just, um, yeah, a little overwhelming. <laughs> but, yeah. but I kept hearing that encouragement. And I said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to try to do this because I think it's important enough. And so through that motivation, through that inspiration, I, I put myself to write the book. And that's kind of how the book came about. I mean, it's a personal journey. It's a journey of trying to understand the situation that we're in. But I also want to emphasize that there's a lot of hope. I kept coming back to this over and over again. We'll probably have a chance to talk about it. But the Christian tradition has so many resources and examples that we can pull upon today to actually overcome some of the negative tendencies within polarized culture. And that was what I kept being overwhelmed by a sense of hope. And I think people have found the book to be hopeful too, even as much as it, as it diagnoses the problem, which is a challenge today. There is a lot of reasons to be hope today and be hopeful as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so you mentioned a lot of polarization within families, within churches. And, you know, a lot of the times when we think about the topic where we're typically thinking like broader, you know, our country especially is like super polarized right now. Would you say in general that, we need to start internally with the church before we start working on some of the external polarization that's happening around us? Or do you think it matters? We just attack whatever first. It's a great question. And I have found both in my own experience personally, the way I try to approach it with the book. And then as I've been around different organizations that are really working on the challenge of polarization, that I think you really have to go through a kind of personal examination of conscience. And I think it has to start with the individual. Um, I think we all have to ask ourselves the questions, you know, and I've, I've asked myself these questions and I wrestle with these things myself. You know, how have I 
been affected, been influenced by the divisiveness and the vitriol, wherever that's existing, whether that's in my, mm. sadly, in my local church, whether that's because of the news I'm taking in, whether that's what I'm doing on social media, whether that's the broader culture that I'm living in, how have I been influenced? And then the, the other question, which is never fun to answer, how <laughs> am I contributing to what I would call negative polarization? So I think first and foremost, it's it's what sometimes at Braver Angels, they will call it an organization that works on polarization. They'll call it depolarizing within. So it's, mm-hmm. it's asking the tough questions, you know, how am I affected? How am I contributing? What do I need to change? What are the things which, for lack of a better word, trigger me or, or, or make me upset? Um, why do I have these kinds of prejudices in my life or these biases? What, what is my in-group? What's my silo, right? Uh, what's mm-hmm. my out-group? What is the, what, who is the them that I oftentimes try to pit against the us? And what are, what's my perception of the them? Is that even accurate? So asking these tough questions personally. And then I think the book is written primarily so that the church can return to what I believe Jesus has always called us to, but I think that we've gotten away from. And that is our central kind of missionary task of being the church. Um, yeah. and, and if we are not taking a look at how we are polarized within the church itself, and how we are contributing, because I think there, we can maybe talk about this, but I think that we are definitely guilty kind of as a church to contributing to polarization. I think we have to ask those tough questions so that we can be who Jesus wants us to be today. And then we can kind of look at the broader questions. Now, it's all interrelated, right? So I exist within the church, the church exists in society, and kind of all of that is mixed together. So I'm, for the sake of the book, in my own kind of like trying to work through it in my own head, I I provide some of these distinctions, but I think it does all kind of flow together. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, speaking of the book, I know from what I was able to read, you do mention a lot around some of the polarization around some of the like partisan or political lines in America. Um, would you say that's the largest area of polarization in our culture right now? So I think that the the best way to approach this question would be to say that it's complicated on the one hand. Um, but to say that what seems to have happened and those who kind of are doing the, the, the cutting edge research and the, the research that I rely upon uh, heavily, it seems to be the case that, you know, we have sorted into two large groups and, and statistically speaking. So these are generalizations. There's always going to be outliers. Statistically yeah. speaking, uh, politics. So the left right divide has also divided out into kind of cultural behaviors. It's also divided out racially. It's also divided out religiously. It's also divided out geographically. And so um, what's happened is we've sorted into these two groups. And I think politics or partisanship does kind of run through all of these identity markers or how we understand ourselves. And so it's very difficult to uncouple, I think, Partisan identity from where I come from, from my religious background, uh, from some of the things I do culturally, so on and so forth. I think you can do it. I'm not saying that like everybody's influenced in the same way by the political party they belong to. But because of the nature of the way we've polarized, because of tendencies that take place within group dynamics and group behaviors, I think that it, it does seem to be the case that, that partisanship is very influential. Uh, again, generalization on, on, on average today or on the whole in our lives, in our, in our cultural situation. Um, but it's not the only influence. It's not the only way that we've been affected and the only way we've polarized. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
trying to be careful, but you know, I, I feel like most people can kind of see what you're talking about. I mean, if, if you go to near where a lot of where I've lived a lot of my life, you know, deep south suburbs, um, you know, you're Christian, go to evangelical church. And yeah, you're Republican. That's just kind of part of all that other stuff, though. And, you know, similarly, you know, I might have a friend who's in Raleigh who goes to a black church who is, you know, right at the doorstep of a college, a metropolitan near college kind of area. And yeah, he's Democrat, but that's just kind of part of all the rest of that stuff. So I, I feel like most people can see what you're talking about, I think. Yeah. So it's there. <laughs> you know, the, sometimes we try to act like it's not there. It's it's there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Would you say then that this work is mostly targeted towards American Catholics or to all Christians everywhere? So I tried to write the book from an ecumenical perspective, meaning I tried to address polarization uh, with the church, kind of like broad umbrella church. Um, mm -hmm. There are different sections within the book where I'm addressing, addressing specifically like evangelicals and those who kind of come from an evangelical background. There are, there are, I pull upon evangelical resources and, and non-Catholic Christian resources and writers and, and theologians. Um, so that's certainly a part of the book. And I, I think that I've, I've encountered, you know, a number of, of, of non-Catholic Christians who have said, yeah, this has been a very helpful book, you know, even for me, for my tradition and, and thank me for writing it. Now, that being said, you know, I, I, I kind of hail from the, the, the Catholic world. So that's the world that I feel the most confident to speak into. Um, and so I'm, I'm using research about Catholicism. Uh, I'm using, you know, research also just kind of from social sciences and things like that too, which I think uh, applies in a, in a broad way. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel most comfortable speaking into the Catholic world. And when I use personal experiences, it is, of course, I think coming from, you know, the perspective of a, of a Catholic priest uh, who tends to have a lot of ecumenical relationships, though, who tends to have friends who are non-Catholic Christians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the parts that I read, definitely, I would say... Very helpful, um, I think, to anybody in the church who's open to being helped. Um, you know, that that being said, ironically, I think the, the biggest challenge I would have to getting some people that I know to, to read it is, you know, I'm still have people around me that I'm trying to convince. No, Catholics are Christians. <laughs> like yeah. They're not a different religion. And it's just, you know, it's funny that that polarization might be the thing that keeps some people from reading a book that would help them with the issue of polarization. <laughs> So yeah, it's kind of a bit irony. And I think that's so and I think that's a great point that, you know, in as much as divisions are kind of all around us and, and, and many of those divisions break, you know, along the big polarized groups that exist in the U.S., mm -hmm. wherever there are divisions, I think that people will find that there would be some helpful wisdom within the book. Because if you think about the whole theology that I propose, which is this theology of crossing over, which mm -hmm. is that is in a sense kind of leaving my comfort zone and, and leaving the group. Uh, to which that I, I'm most comfortable with and, and crossing over to the outlier, the, the marginalized person. Well, that could be an ecumenical situation. That could be me as a, yeah. as a Roman Catholic priest crossing over and, and engaging with Southern Baptist, which is very much a part of my life. And, and by yeah. doing that, I come to see that they, that they have wonderful things that are part of their tradition. I come to learn from them. And then hopefully they, they, they vice versa, they come to learn from me and we build a relationship. And that in itself it can can deepen a sense of communion and unity. Yeah, yeah. I won't forget the the first time I visited a Catholic mass. It was a a Latin mass, and I just went on in my head going, "Well, that's what all Catholic churches are like." And then one day I went to another. I was like, "Oh, this is um a lot more modern, a lot more like I I actually understood what happened." This 
yeah. you know, not that one's necessarily better or worse than the other. It's just one of those that like, maybe, you know, when you cross the line, you see what the other side is. Don't just do it once and say, this is what they're all like, period, dot, you know, cross it a little more than once, you know, test the waters out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, you know, and then also kind of be prudential in one's crossing over. Right. So I, yeah. that's, that's part of what I talk <laughs> about in the book, but I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a favorite quote or I don't know, some people don't like to quote themselves or a section of the book that uh, you like to point people towards whenever you're like, why you believe this is an important thing to have out in the world? Yeah. I mean, I, um, if I could say this in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very genuine, honest sense, the, the section that I wrote on Jesus's ministry of crossing over was the most yeah. meaningful to me. And then I actually think that in some cases I was moved to tears myself because you know, is giving me a chance to sort of talk about Jesus in a way which I think is undervalued today, but I think is such a part of the example that Jesus provides to us. And what I mean by that is that so many examples, first of all, the Son of God looked upon creation, right? If we can speak in this way, and uh -huh. at, you know, in, in a sense, had many decisions he could have made. He could have condemned creation because of the fall. He could have left us to ourselves. He could have obliterated us, so on and so forth. And in the midst of all of that, he saw how bad the situation was, and he decided to unite himself more intimately with our existence, right? He crossed over into the created world and united himself through the incarnation more intimately. Well, then he does that throughout his entire ministry. So he sees the demoniac, and everybody wants to go down a different path. Nobody wants to go down the path where the demons are. <laughs> But not Jesus. Like he sees the outgroup and he crosses over why to bring about salvation. He does that with the leper and he does that with the sinner. And then he does that. The ultimate mo moment is where he sees his opponents in Jerusalem and he knows what's going to happen. And he's so courageous and so vulnerable that he crosses over to mm -hmm. Jerusalem basically alone because his disciples decided to flee. Right. And he comes yeah. to encounter the fate which is there. Why? Because he loved us and he wanted to save us. And that's that that to me is the section. And it's 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 within, you know, the latter part of the book where I really start to get into the meat of the theology of the book. And, and I think I pull upon scripture a lot where I get to sort of talk about Jesus. And I think that's kind of at the heart of, of who I am and the reason I've been given the gift of faith, which I which I'm very thankful for. But I think it can I think it's moved others and I think it can move others as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing really helpful to think about with that too, that maybe some people forget. I think that a lot of times we forget, we think of like this scene where Jesus is entering to Pontius Pilate and it's just a clean little court scene like our American system, but no Roman court system was very much tied to Roman religion. Yep. <laughs> this was him answering to a guy who believes in a different God, who believes that justice is with their gods, that the Jewish God is a fake God. You know, like it's not just him going, well, I guess I'll go die now. <laughs> Pretend like I'm guilty in the court system. It's him submitting to people of a different religion and allowing himself to cross over and pay the price for all of us. And it just kind of, yeah, deep, powerful moment. Thank you for sharing that. that. Um, yeah. One other thing we, we just kind of want to know outside of the book, is there anything else that you just get excited about whenever people I don't ask you, I know you've been on other interviews that maybe doesn't get asked a lot that you'd like to talk about. Yeah. So I think one of the things which is continued, especially this summer, is to see that there are real, wonderful examples of people who are doing what I call for in the book, that is kind of crossing over and coming together 
with other people who they disagree with vehemently, with other people who sometimes they even hate, with other people who've even hurt them, but they are inspired, not just by faith, because there are a lot of people of goodwill who are not Christians who are doing this. They are inspired to try to deepen unity. And, and this actually works. Like it's, it's, it, there is all kinds of grace that flows in and out of these situations. I think the Holy Spirit is involved. And I, I think of groups here, for instance, like, like Braver Angels, which brings together, I was at, a, at the Braver Angels National Convention in Gettysburg this summer. There were about 700 people there. Uh, 50, more or less 50% of the group were Reds, Republican leaning. 50% of the group were, were Blues, Democrat leaning. I'd never been in a setting like this ever in my whole life. And I saw not like superficial engagement, but I saw respectful, <laughs> deep engagement and even respectful, deep disagreement. I saw people learning in the process. I was learning myself. And that was something, too, that, you know, we're, I think like, you know, coming to understand who we are and our identity and what is true in life. That's a journey. And we're all kind of trying to work these things out. And so to have a setting where you are free to work this kind of stuff out is so beneficial to those who are involved. So these groups are doing great things and, and they're, they're actually working. I mean, it's actually mm -hmm. creating a deeper sense of unity and it's not to gloss over the difference. And that's, I want to highlight over yeah. and over again. And it's not, it's not melt toast, uh, unity. It, it, it is, it is tough. It, it takes courage. Yeah. I felt totally out of, I mean, I sat down at different tables throughout this time. Just give you an example. You know, one morning for breakfast, I sat down and I, I said, can I sit here? The guy says, no problem. First thing he says to me, by the way, I just want you to let you know I'm, I'm an atheist. Okay, that's fine. You know, so we get to talk and it's great. <laughs> Next day, I sit down at the table. Can I can I sit here? The person says, no problem. You can sit down. She says, she says to me, oh, but I just want you to let you know I'm a witch. <laughs> okay. So we start to talk sure. and we engage each other. And it was just like every day was a new experience like that. And yeah, it puts me out of my comfort zone, no doubt about it. I mean, <laughs> it, it requires yeah. a deep sense of learning and a deep sense of listening. Prudence is super important in those cases because it's kind of like, what do I say and what do I do? But it also is I get to hear questions from people that maybe have never been with, been next to a Catholic priest in their whole life. <laughs> maybe they've never even yeah. heard about Jesus uh, or, or the gospel. And I, and I don't need to sit across from them and, and in a sense, you know, push it down their throats. By, by just a, a respectful, mutual exchange, these folks are, are coming to a deeper sense of truth. And I am, I am myself as well. Mm, man, that's, that's incredible. That sounds awesome. It was, it was amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, man. Well, back to the book. Where can people go if they want to check it out? They want to, you know, hear more from the great father, Aaron. They're like, man, that guy was awesome. Um, and they want to check out the church's mission in a polarized world. Where can they order the book? So they can go on Amazon and order it through Amazon. They can also go to New City Press. Um, the mm -hmm. publisher is New City Press. So you'll find the book uh, uh, from, from the publisher. You can find it online. I've also had a chance to do uh, various podcasts. And so there are different interviews out there that all take a little bit of a different you know, angle uh, on the material from the book. Um, and people can also go to glenmary.org, which is the community that I belong to, our website. And on there, you can just send a note to kind of the general information a session it says contact us and just say i'd like to reach out to father aaron and ask him some questions and that's no problem they'll get me the message awesome, awesome. yeah and i'll um, i'll drop a link to the to the book in the description below as well for now though um one thing we like to ask every guest is if you had to provide a single tangible action something that somebody could go do right now and when they do it it would help engender 
church unity, what is one practical thing our listeners could go do right now? So I share this example because I know that it's actually really worked for people. And so that's why I'm going to share it. So people have actually purchased the book and started small self-studies with the book. So they get together with three or four other people that are interested in the theme of polarization, that know that we're in a tough spot right now in the United States, that know that the church is also really struggling. And they just sit down with the book and they meet maybe every, once every two weeks or once every month. And they read a chapter at a time uh, and they talk about what the experience is like. They talk about what they learn. And it is amazing. From there, I've had those people then go out and start their own group. And it has actually kind of snowballed into the effect where people are starting these little study groups around the book. And it's as they're changing their lives. I mean, people are saying, I've changed the way I'm relating to people I disagree with. I've changed the way I see discipleship. I've also given myself to this sort of examination of conscience that's part of a book. So that would be the, the easiest thing that I would recommend. And there are all kinds of little things within the book that people can apply to their life. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best thing about that. Asking that question to someone who just wrote a book. It's a, such an easy answer. Yeah, read the book. That's a yeah. pretty practical thing to do. Yeah. So what would be the repercussions um, in the world around us if everybody listening just went, grabbed your book and started a, a little group like that? So um, I actually think that the church would be able to kind of put forth the example in a much clearer way. So not that it's not there, but in a much clearer way the example of the gospel that Jesus desires us to provide to the world. Um, And I think there would be people in situations and settings that would come to see see Christ and see Christianity in a new light, as if it was the same way in which I was sitting across the table from an atheist or from a witch, for instance. Again, self-identified people, I'm not putting those labels on them, who now are seeing, Mm -hmm. this is interesting, like, I, I have not really understood who Jesus was, and now I'm sort of thinking about it in a different way. And you know, and we're all kind of journeying closer to that deepened sense of unity that God desires for the for the world. Yeah. Yeah. Man, love that. Love that. So there's just one last thing we do before we kind of get to our our outro and Patreon exclusive stuff. Um, and that's our God moment segment. It's uh, just a moment we like to share what God's been up to with us recently. Blessing, challenge, whatever it may be. TJ loves to make me go first. Uh, he's not here. So I just have to go first. So he got me. Um, <laughs> I think uh, for me, if I'm just sharing a moment, the God I've seen God recently. Um, last weekend, I was able to hike Crowder's Mountain. And you know, it's just the hiking area around Charlotte where people go. Um, brought my dog and went with my friend and his family. And just kind of getting to be a part of their family for a little bit was kind of cool. And we get to the top and my dog goes to, there's like a little pole that marks the highest point of the mountain. He gets up there and he just, Bow! So like, well, I guess, buddy, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. It just kind of reminds me that uh, sometimes we just we need to get to the top of mountains and just let loose a little bit. Like, yes. you know, God made us to to let loose from time to time. And um, I think sometimes we forget that. Luckily, beagles don't. They're here to remind us. <laughs> so <laughs> To laugh and have fun and let loose. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, that's my challenge to, to let loose. <laughs> um, Father Aaron, did you have any moments that you'd like to share you've seen God in recently? Yeah, that, it's a, that, I love the question, and I and I've always loved kind of like thinking about these grace moments. Um, yeah. So great. a lot of my a, a lot of my ministry now is um, is administration. So it, it's it's a lot of administration, and 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 sometimes that's not as um, it's not as as evident in how it's making a difference, and it sometimes is a little bit separated from like the very wonderful aspects of of being a priest, like you know, preaching and celebrating the sacraments and talking about Jesus. And, 
and doing those kind of direct things which really make an impact in people's lives. And you see it. It's changing them for, for Christ, in a sense, or allowing them to deepen their relationship with Jesus. So one of the things I've started to do more now, and I feel like it's just kind of like settled on me from the spirit, is in the midst <laughs> of the administration, whether it's like I'm doing a supervision with one of our employees or is to just bring prayer into those situations. Like it's so nice. obvious, like, but it was, <laughs> yeah. a, it was a real, I love that. You know, it was like, it was a great conviction that God put in my heart. I'm like, you know, like these things shouldn't be far from the spiritual life. And mm, just to yeah. give, a, give a moment of, of praising God for the person and what they're doing. Cause the, the people I work with are amazing. They're doing a yeah. lot of really difficult ministry and, and supporting who we are in Glenmary and in the church. And, so just to kind of enter into prayer with them and thank God for them and and ask the Spirit to empower them and to guide all of us that, that that's been a great realization and so I it's a small thing but I, I loved it I love that God was like well why aren't you doing this at least I felt you <laughs> telling me that yeah so I think I woke up at least temporarily anyway <laughs> man that's awesome that's awesome thank great you. stuff huh yeah I, see I could do God moments all day it's a that's a fun. We just need a God moment episode eventually, but it's fine. Yeah. We'll get we'll get there one day. <laughs> For now, um, if you've listened this far, thank you. Uh, please consider sharing this episode with a friend, an enemy, or a cousin. You know, we like cousins around here. Uh, and. If you want to support the show, you know, we can't do this show without paying for a lot of things that we have to pay for as far as like hosting, editing, etc. If you just want to help, but you're like, I don't really want to do a subscription. I don't have a ton of money. Well, you can leave a one time tip of like a dollar on Captivate. So head over there, captivate.fm forward slash the whole church podcast, something like that. It's in the show notes. Um, just, you know, if you can help, help, that'd be great. And of course, check out all the other shows on the Amazon Ministries podcast network. You know, we got Systematic Ecology, me and TJ are both a part of. I do Dummy for Theology, just going through different theological questions. And um, we have Let Nothing Move You with Christian Ashley, My Seminary Life with Brandon Knight. It's a great time. Check it out. We hope you enjoyed this show. Come back next week. We're going to have another roundtable discussion. This time we'll be focusing on what traps the church often falls into. Then after that, we'll be interviewing Serena Hitchens. She's the host of the 1619 and 1776 podcast. It's another church unity podcast. After that, Dr. Thomas Ord and Christian Ashley will be back. And we're going to be discussing some different views on the doctrines of hell. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us as soon as one of our wonderful listeners let him know, because right now he doesn't know about it. Thank you, guys. and We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast or on captivate.fm or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a one-time tip through Captivate. Thank you for listening.